for your ministry and music. As we prepare to hear the preaching of the Word of God, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to our text for this evening, which can be found in 2 Samuel chapter 16. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, please feel free to use the Bibles that are found under the pews. Again, our text for this evening is 2 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to look specifically at verses 5 through 14. Second Samuel chapter 16, verses 5 through 14. When King David came to Behurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out! Get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he, is curse, if he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse, David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road, while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him, and cursed as he went, and threw stones at him, and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived wary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. Good evening. It's good to be with you once again tonight. So I hope you'll keep your Bibles open to that passage. Thank you, Pastor Cruz, for reading that to us. And we're going to be expounding on it. And again, uh, it wasn't that Pastor Reed and I shared notes or anything. It just in the sovereignty of God, we are in a passage that I think ties in very well with some of the themes that were talked about this morning. And really, I came to consider this passage because it was in my regular Bible reading. Um, if you've been doing uh, Bible in a year and uh, have gone through it in just regular book order, you would have already got to the story of David and uh, come across this particular passage. And it just struck me as I was um, reading over it uh, in, in my own quiet time, just David's response to this particular instance and how different it is from those around him. So tonight I'm wondering, uh, how well do you handle criticism? How well do you handle criticism when it comes your way? I'll tell you that in today's day and age, the common way to respond to criticism is to fight back, right? Um, somebody might say things like, who are you to judge? Or uh, you can't tell me what to do, or I don't have to listen to this. Um, somebody might just say, you know what, I don't need negative people in my life, you know, and just uh, get rid of them and, and just say, I don't, I don't want to hear any of these negative things you're sharing or, or sending my way. 
Um, but if we look at this example of David, we find a very different approach, a very different response to negative words flung his way. So we're in 2 Samuel 16, of course. Now, before we begin, we are jumping in the middle of the story of David, so it's helpful to give a little bit of context as to where we're at. And in fact, it's helpful to think of the books of First and Second Samuel as being the book about David, because many scholars believe that a lot of these books that are divided up into First and Second in the Old Testament especially were done so because of the length of the scroll. And so if you read First and Second Samuel together, it almost seems like one story, and that's likely because it is. It continues on immediately where one leaves off and keeps on going. And if you think before the days of having books where you had pages sewn together and things like that, and you just get a big enough story, the scroll becomes so unwieldy and it's hard to carry that dividing these up into two books was just practical to be able to make them smaller, to be able to make in a scroll form. But it's helpful to know that because... Again, as you see the story from the beginning of 1 Samuel to the end of 2 Samuel, it's largely a story about David. Even in the midst of Samuel being mentioned in the beginning and King Saul, really King Saul just sets up David's throne. And then David's reign in 2 Samuel all the way up to 1 Kings where you get to Solomon. Okay? So as I'm saying that, the reason I want you to know that is because we are looking at this as a whole, um, David's story, and it's helpful to consider many instances where he responded this way, as he does in chapter 16, but throughout his life, in a way that's humble and in a way uh, that isn't vengeful. Now, setting up this particular context, um, we know that David was called uh, too big king, anointed as king by the prophet Samuel, and he was called uh, among all of his brothers. He was the youngest. He was out tending sheep, and Samuel said, no, none of these older, you know, stronger, nicer-looking guys I haven't come to pick. Uh, God's called this one, and Jesse has to bring David in from outside, um, and uh, you know, David comes to serve Saul while he is king for a while. He kills Goliath when nobody else will, showing him to be a man of uncharacteristically, uh, you know, strong uh, faith. And, um, and, and Saul sees just how much the people love David. And so at that point, Saul seeks to kill him because he gets jealous uh, for his own power. But God protects David through all of this. And by the end of 1 Samuel, Saul becomes surrounded in a battle with the Philistines and ultimately kills himself, falls on his own sword. And that leads to 2 Samuel, where in chapter 2, David is proclaimed as king. Now, here in our chapter today, tonight, chapter 16, we see this enemy of David, this person who's opposing him, Shimei. But David was no stranger to enemies. He had fought many enemies. When he was serving Saul, he, of course, fought the Philistines and won many times. So he knew his share of conflict. Uh, he was pursued by Saul before he became king. Um, he, he fought the Philistines after he became king. Um, and then, once David did take the throne rightfully and Saul was dead, he had to face other people who would make a claim to the throne, such as Ishbosheth, who was Saul's son. And uh, for a while, Ishbosheth had his own following, and David had his, and he had to resolve that. Um, then this conflict raged on until Ishbosheth's commander, uh, Abner, defected to David's side, and Ishbosheth was ultimately murdered. Um, David fought the Jebusites in 2 Samuel 5. He took Jerusalem, which he made his capital, and then he fought and defeated the Philistines again. And then in chapter 8 of 2 Samuel, he defeats the Moabites and the Syrians and the Edomites and the Ammonites and many others. Chapter 11, 
That's David's infamous affair with Bathsheba, uh, unfortunately, um, and uh, that's his major sin there. But then in chapter 13, David's son Amnon uh, violates his own sister Tamar, and then David's son Absalom kills Amnon in retaliation. And then as a result of this act, Absalom has to flee the country, and David was left in grief because of all of this. Then when David allowed Absalom to return, David did not receive um, gratitude from his son, like he should have from Absalom, for welcoming him back. But instead, Absalom betrays him and, and usurps him and takes the throne. And so if we go to 2 Samuel 15, if you just go back a chapter from where we are, it says, And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. And then David says, uh, to all of his servants who are with him, arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. So go quickly, lest he overtake us and bring us down to ruin or strike the city with the edge of the sword. So Absalom gathers such a following along with an army that David is ultimately forced to flee. And that is where we're at here in chapter 16. So I say all this to just point out that David knew conflict. David knew what it was like to have enemies. I mean, he, he lived that life uh, from the time he was called to be king from Samuel. And here in this text, he is now on the run from his very own son, whom he welcomed back into the kingdom, Absalom. He's leaving the nation for his own life, and, and, and he meets this person, Shimei, who just makes things worse. Okay, so that's the context. So let's go to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 16, verses 5 through 8. Okay, we're going to reread some of this. And it says, when David came uh, to Berhiram, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And he came and cursed him continually. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David, and all the people and the mighty men were on his right hand and his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. Second Samuel 16, 8 then says, The Lord has avenged you on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Okay, so that, let's stop there. This is basically what uh, Shimei says to him and what he does. Okay, so David's fleeing. He's leaving Jerusalem, and if you were to bring up a map, and this is the cool area of today, you can, you, you know, if you have an atlas at home, that's great. If you've got one in the back of your Bible, great. Or if not, you can just look it up online, and I was able to find out where Behurim is. It's only four miles northeast of Jerusalem. So this is literally just as David is leaving the city. He's not gotten very far, and he runs into this man. Ultimately, he's trying to get further away, but it doesn't take long before he's intercepted by this man named Shimei. Um, and as he's leaving, it says in chapter 15, verse 30, if you just flip back like a few verses, that the people are weeping with him. They're, you know, everybody loves David. They hear that Absalom's coming and there's nothing they can do, but they're crying for him. David's crying. He's weeping. His men are crying. As he's passing the last city, the last camp of Jerusalem, like the people are just standing by his side, escorting him out almost as he's leaving and, and wailing with him. So it's a sad scene, and he's already in grief, and this is when Shimei comes to meet him. Now, who is this man Shimei? Um, we don't know a whole lot about him. The text doesn't tell us, except that he is, quote, a man from the family of the house of Saul, and it says he's the son of Gera. 
So Shimei was a tribe uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, and he was a relative of Saul. And, and this association is supposed to alert the reader of something, right? We're not given a lot of details, but what we know is he's aligned with Saul. So all of a sudden, if you didn't even know what's going to come next, you could guess that what he's about to say or do is not going to be positive, right? He's probably going to be somebody who aligns himself with King Saul, doesn't appreciate David's rule, and all of that. What's the son of Gera uh, mention that's, that's listed here? Well, Gera... If it's just referring to his father, we don't know anything about him. He's mentioned here, and that's it. But there's another suggestion that I read in different commentaries and things that says maybe this reference to Gera isn't his father. It could be an ancestor. And that's not uncommon in the Bible. When you see the son of, it can often mean not just the father, but going back a few generations. And there is somebody by the name of Gera who is, who is mentioned um, as the, the father of Ehud the famous left-handed judge of Israel, the one who killed King Eglon. So it could be saying he is from that line as well. So all this to say, he is of the house of Saul. He is of the royal line of judges, you know, one of the righteous judges. It might be just that the text is setting him up as, as a person of royal lineage, somebody who thinks he has a claim to something, and therefore, in this case, an opponent of David. Well, verse 5 says that Shimei approached David and he, quote, cursed continually. That word cursed in Hebrew, ki'il, means despised or ridicule or even maybe speak obscenities at. But curse can also mean call down curses upon. And if, if I had to guess, I would say that it's probably that last definition that we would go with here. Um, not just that he's swearing at David. He could be doing that. But if you look at the content of what he's saying, it seems to me that he's positioning himself almost as if he is a prophet. He's claiming to speak for the Lord. He's saying, uh, David, the Lord is angry with you. All of this stuff is happening because God is angry with you and God is judging you for this. Therefore, I would tend to think that this word here is probably referring to calling down curses. In other words, defining the words that come next. Saying, saying that the content of his cursing is this, the words that we see. He says, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given you the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. So there's a lot of things going on there, right? I think he's calling down curses on him, saying, this is your guilt, you deserve it. Uh, I'm speaking for God. That's what Shimei is doing. He says several things. If you want to list them out here, he, he says, you're a worthless man. Uh, he says, David, you are guilty for all of the death that has happened to Saul and his family. Uh, number three, you could say, he's saying Absalom's taking of the throne is really God's punishment for you, for your actions. And then number four, you're a man of blood. Now, I said earlier that I thought this cursing should be understood as calling down curses upon and, uh, and I think, again, as you look at these words, it sounds like he is trying to be prophetic. Uh, we'll find out later that he is a false prophet, but at least that's, that's what he's doing, speaking for God. He's saying, the Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul. And, um, and it's almost like, like David right? and, and Nathan. When Nathan the prophet came in, to, uh, when David uh, slept with Bathsheba. Now, 
I don't think, as I said, that Shimei really is speaking for God here. Because of chapter 19, uh, Shimei repents of everything he says right here. So from Shimei's own mouth, we learn later on that all of this is false. But here, Shimei means to speak as if he is speaking for God. So I want to pause here and just, by a word of application, uh, ask you this question. Have you ever had somebody not only insult you, not only look down upon you and say mean things about you, but also kind of bring God into the picture, maybe in a way that they didn't have authority to do. You know, it's one thing if somebody, you know, says you're worthless, you're terrible, I don't like you, you know, your face is ugly, whatever, you know, they might say to you, that's bad enough. But then if they go and bring God into the picture and say, you know what, not only do I not like you, but I think everything bad that's happening in your life is because God doesn't like you either. God's mad at you. God isn't uh, pleased with it. Now, I'm not uh, talking about situations where maybe there, there might be a sin in my life or your life or something. I'm not denying the fact that God could entirely bring down some sort of consequence for something that we are doing. But in times where it's not deserved, um, if somebody brings that up and just throws God into the picture, then that stings a little bit more, even more than if they're just insulting you, if you're a believer. That's hard. That's hard to take. Um, now, I, again, I don't think Shimei is right about anything that he's saying here. Uh, as we've already mentioned, he will later regret everything that he said. Just flip ahead a little bit, if you could, to chapter 19, 2 Samuel 19, so you can see it yourself. 2 Samuel 19, verses 16 through 20, and, and this, this proves that he is, he is false, he is not right in his assessment of David. Verse 16, 2 Samuel 19, starting in verse 16, Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahurim, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And this is after, by the way, after Absalom is killed and David returns to be, to be king once more. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king, and they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household to do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan, and said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come to meet my lord, the king. So, all that to say, Shimei was wrong. He admits it. But before we, before we even get to that, I think it should be clear to us that Shimei is wrong. Because, yes, even though David was a man of blood, as he says, in the sense that he fought many battles, he was not bloodthirsty. He's not a man of blood in the way that Shimei's saying. He only fought enemies that threatened to destroy Israel. He did so in a dutiful manner to serve Saul. He only fought Goliath when Goliath cursed God's name and threatened to destroy God's people. There's a huge difference in attitude between somebody like Joab, who's David's commander who was constantly looking for fights and taking revenge into his own hands, and David, who wanted nothing to do with revenge or any uh, of that kind of mentality. Further, David wasn't responsible for Saul's death. Here, Shimei is blaming David for Saul's death and all the blood that's happened to his particular family. And, and even though David had numerous opportunities to kill Saul, he never did. He never took that opportunity. He never actually struck him down. 
Uh, and David hadn't done anything either to deserve Absalom's usurping of the throne. So he's not even guilty in that way, directly responsible for it. If you know the story, it was Absalom that murdered his own brother Amnon, and it was, he was rightly exiled from the land. David would have been just in keeping him exiled from the land, yet he eventually welcomed him back. Yet for all of this, his own son Absalom, who David welcomed back, betrayed his own father and usurped the throne. So David didn't deserve Absalom's rebellion either. Nevertheless, even though we can tell that all of Shimei's words here are rubbish, they still must have stung David quite a bit. And those are the kind of things that, that are become the hardest for us. Um, when people inject a little bit of truth into, their, um, into their, their curses or their words against us and things, or when they throw these things in that, are, that we doubt ourselves, was I really guilty for that? David could have questioned, was I really guilty for Saul's death? Did I in some way do that? You know, and Shimei's digs here, claiming to be from the Lord, I can imagine that would have been really hard. That would have stung for David. Again, as he's already weeping, as he's already leaving the city. David uh, did have to make a lot of hard choices in his life. Times to go to war, times to not go to war, times to punish evil, times to forgive and pardon. Um, he was bearing a lot as it, as it was. Um, but these were the words that Shimei spoke. And verse 6 says that as he is cursing and saying these things, to make matters worse, he, quote, threw stones at David and at all of the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men who were on his right hand and his left. So not only does David need to put up with these curses and taunts, but he's also now being pelted with stones, and that would have hurt, okay? Uh, you remember, people were stoned to death, okay, in, in, in that time. So we don't know the, the size of the stones. Maybe they're just little rocks just to annoy him. Who knows? But we do know that the, 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 the men of David, his soldiers, are on his right hand and his left, almost as if to protect him. As he is marching down this road, there's this man, Shimei, who's chucking these rocks at him. And they could have been large, I don't know. And there are these men guarding him on either side to protect their king as this is happening, would have been incredibly demoralizing. So, how does David respond to all this? We got to what Shimei does. Now, how is David going to respond? Well, before he even says a word, um, we have this uh, response of a man named Abishai. And I don't know if you, you know, have thought about how you might respond in a situation like this. If it were me, if I were King David, I think I could kind of relate a little bit with how Abishai responds, although, of course, not to that same extent. But I would be a little mad. If I'm the king and somebody's throwing rocks at my head and I've got soldiers around, I don't know, maybe part of me would have said, yeah, let's just put an end to all that right, right now. We can stop that. Second uh, Samuel 16.9 says, Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. He says, David, just don't put up with it. I'll kill him in a second. We'll be done with this. You don't have to put up with it. So, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't suggest cutting off somebody's head, okay? I hope I wouldn't go that far. But in honesty, if, if we're being hit by rocks, if, if, if you were the king of Israel, okay, it would be pretty hard to put up with somebody like that, throwing things at you, knowing that you'd have the power to stop it. Um, interestingly, when it says Abishai, was the son of Zerulah. Here's something I didn't know before. I, I went to look this up. This is something I never caught. 
Uh, Zerulia is not a man. It's a woman's name. And in other words, uh, Zerulia here is somebody famous. It's um, David's half-sister, believe it or not. I don't know if you've ever caught, maybe if that, you already knew that. This is not striking you as strange. But to me, I didn't know that. And you usually hear the son of, and in the Bible, it's often son of some other man. This is their father's name. It's not. This is an oddity in the scriptures. And the reason for it is she is somebody famous. She is the half-sister or sister of David. And so she's no ordinary person. Um, it's, that, maybe that's why she is named not the father. But she is the mother of not only Abishai, but also of Joab, the commander of David's army, and Asahel, who is famous in another part of David's story. So again, that struck me as, as neat. I didn't realize that Joab was David's nephew. His, his commander was his own nephew. Um, but there's something common about all three of these men. Abishai, who's mentioned here, Joab, and Asahel. Uh, they all end up being warriors in David's army, and unfortunately, all of them end up being known for their rash spirit and their tendency toward violence. For here, Abishai is the first to suggest killing Shimei, but that's not the first time he's suggested such a thing. If you were to go back, and you don't have to turn there, um, 1 Samuel 26, um, this is when David's on the run from Saul, and Saul's sleeping outside, and David sneaks up on him, and he has every opportunity to kill him, and it's Abishai who says, David, let me kill him right now. I can take his spear and just drive it through his head, and he'll be done. And David wants nothing to do with that attitude. It's the same man who's saying, I'll just cut off Shimei's head. Um, then if we go to chapter 19, which we already read, when Shimei comes back and repents, again, Abishai's like, don't listen to this guy. You should just kill him. He was wrong. You're king now. Get rid of him. Okay, so again, Abishai would have been the first to suggest putting somebody to death. That was his character. That was Joab's character. Joab was a man of revenge. Asahel was the guy who, it says in the Bible, before all these events take place, he's a fast runner. And he's running really fast to catch up with Abner uh, because he's trying to take over, uh, or attack Abner's army. And Abner says, don't do it. Don't chase after me. You're going to die. Just stop where you're at. And he doesn't listen. And Abner puts his spear right through him because he keeps pursuing him, because he wouldn't let up. And that's the, the content of all of these uh, men's character, okay, these sons of Zerulia. So that ties into what David says then in 2 Samuel 16, verses 10 through 12. Verse 10, he says, But what do I have to do with you, you sons of Zerulia? Okay? And that makes sense then, because this is their attitude. Take revenge, you know, uh, kill somebody right away. David says, if he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why has he done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, behold, my own son seeks my life, that's Absalom, how much more this Benjamite, leave him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. And it may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. I just want to pause right there. And just note that that is an incredible, incredible response, is it not? Let's break it down a bit. First, David says, what do I have to do with you sons of Zerulia? He, he lumps all of them together um, because of all the things that I've already, already mentioned. And he wants nothing to do with that kind of thinking. You know what strikes me about David, not only in this passage, but in many other passages as well, is the way that he stands out 
from all the other men around him in terms of his humility and, and his leaving vengeance to the Lord. Think about the following examples. In 1 Samuel 24, and again, this helps if you know the story, if you've been reading this recently, David finds Saul in a cave. Okay, this is earlier in his life. Saul's been pursuing David to kill him. And instead of killing Saul, David only cuts off a corner of his robe. And even with that, David feels guilt. But the point is he doesn't take revenge on Saul. That's how his conscience is, is so uh, attuned to that kind of thing. 1 Samuel 26, David again has the opportunity to kill Saul in the field. We already talked about this, but he doesn't do it. 2 Samuel 1, when an Amalekite runs to David to falsely claim that he is the one that killed Saul and put him to death, thinking that he's going to get a reward for it, David says, this is not a good thing. And he puts him to death because he says, how are you so bold to put to death the Lord's anointed? David wanted nothing to do with revenge. 2 Samuel 3, when Joab killed Abner in revenge for Abner killing Asahel, that fast runner guy I mentioned, you know, uh, David condemned it. He, he said that, uh, you know, even though Abner was wicked in his own right, he mourned after Abner. He wasn't okay with, with vengeance. 2 Samuel 4, when somebody reported to David that they killed Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, thinking that they would get a reward as well, the same thing happens. To, the guy, to that guy as the person who reported to David that uh, he had killed Saul. Uh, David puts him to death. He says, how dare you put to death somebody who was of the house of Saul, somebody who God anointed as king. And finally, in 2 Samuel 9, when Saul's dead, instead of killing all of Saul's relatives, like many other kings might have done, David had compassion on one named Mephibosheth, one of Saul's grandsons. He honored him and even allowed him to, to sit at the king's table. So the point is that when men all around David sought to execute anyone who opposed them, David took a different approach. Back in 2 Samuel 16.10, David says, If he, that is Shimei, is cursing me because the Lord has said to him, Curse him, who shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks, his life, seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite? Leave him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. And it may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me for his cursing today. So again, we want to pause here and notice what David is saying. While he could have killed Shimei on the spot, instead he takes a humble approach. So not only is he taking vengeance, but he's not even remaining neutral about it. He takes a humble approach. Instead, he says, perhaps Shimei really is speaking for the Lord. And if that's the case, then what can I possibly say in response? See, we know that Shimei was wrong, but David doesn't know. We have the benefit of chapter 19 that tells us that. He doesn't. And so, you know, David doesn't kill this man. He says, you know what? I don't know if this man's a true prophet or not. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. But if he is then me killing him isn't going to get me anywhere. That's just going to make God more mad at me. Um, he says, no, let him curse. For without any other clues, David must leave room for the possibility that God really has sent this man to curse him. And, you know, I wonder, if we could just pause and think about our own examples at this point. When somebody criticizes you, how do you respond to that? Do you immediately dismiss it out of hand? Do you, do you normally just say, you know, I don't need somebody who's negative in my life. If you're not going to encourage me, then I'm just not going to speak to you anymore. 
I don't need to hear this. That's what most people do today. Or when somebody criticizes you, do you take a different approach? Do you say, you know, even though this person probably hates me and is being very unkind, maybe there's a bit of truth in what they're saying. Maybe there's something that I need to consider here. Because it takes a true leader to have that kind of humility. Sometimes in the midst of a harsh criticism, we need to take a look and say, you know, maybe there is something I have done. Maybe I need to leave open the possibility that God is trying to get my attention. Maybe there are ways that I've wronged somebody without realizing it. Maybe this is God using this person's criticism in my life. That is exactly what David does here. He says, you know what? Maybe God has sent him. And maybe... This is not some wrong being done to me, but maybe this is exactly what I deserve. And at this point, I don't know. And if I don't know, then I'm not going to dismiss him out of hand. I can't. That's the attitude David has here. But here's the key. David trusts that God will be able to sort this out. Even if David has done nothing to be guilty of, and Shimei turns out to be a false prophet, David trusts God to reveal that too. So in any case, whether he is saying, you know what, maybe Shimei is real here, maybe this is really sent from God, he's saying, I'm trusting that God is trying to teach me something here and I'm going to listen, I'm going to consider that. But yet, um, even if Shimei is all wrong, David says, you know what, I'm going to trust God to that too. I'm going to trust that he can bring um, vengeance or he can repay me for the evil that's done here. Notice one other thing. David doesn't just accept guilt when there's none either. So I want you to see that fine balance he maintains. He leaves open the room that God may be speaking to him here, that maybe he has done something wrong, but he doesn't just, in a blanket statement, assume guilt when there's none deserved either. He leaves open that possibility that Shimei's curses are undeserved. And that's what he means in verse 12. Look there. It says, it may be that the Lord, on the other hand, will look at the wrong that's being done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So I think that's a really amazing balance that David maintains here. Just because David is humble... And just because we should learn to be humble doesn't mean that we have to assume that we are constantly the ones in the wrong all the time. For David says, you know, there is also a chance that I'm innocent. Even if there's a chance that this man is right, there's also a chance that I'm innocent. And that Shimei really is the one who is wicked and a false prophet. But here's the difference. Even if that's the case, I, meaning David, will trust that God will make that clear eventually and that he will repay me for any wrong that I suffer today. That's amazing. That is amazing that David has that attitude. And you know what he does from that point? He just keeps on walking. He just keeps on walking. Uh, verse 13. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones, flinging dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived at... Uh, weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. There he refreshed himself. So what's the application here? I think the lesson we should take away is primarily one about trusting in the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 12 once again. David says this, It may be 
that the Lord will look on all the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. Understand that what David is saying here is huge. He is basically willing to accept two possibilities, both of which are huge statements spiritually. Possibility number one, David is saying, I'm willing to get sworn at, I'm willing to get cursed at, I'm willing to have rocks thrown at me and dirt and get pelted over and over again, even though I am the king of Israel, because maybe God has sent this man to teach me a lesson. That's huge because it shows David's immense faith that even in the worst situations in life, he trusts that God is working it all out for his good, to teach him, to help him become a more godly individual. Many of you know how incredibly hard it is when your world is crashing down to keep on believing that God has not turned his back on you or forgotten you. And here, in the midst of David losing his kingdom, having his own son turn on him, and having some stranger swear at him and throw rocks at his head, David says, you know what? God, you are still in control. And if this man is, this man is really sent by you, you are intending me to learn something from this. You desire me to grow in humility. You want my attitude to be changed and molded by this. That's huge for David to say. And yet... David is also willing to accept this just as amazing alternative uh, possibility. Possibility number two, David's also saying, I'm willing to get sworn at, cursed, have rocks thrown at me, get dirt and, and other things pelted on me over and over again, even though I am the king of Israel. Because even if I am totally innocent here, I still trust God enough that I know he will vindicate me. David's willing to get hit over and over again with rocks because he trusts that if he really is in the right, God will do something about it. God will do something about it. Do you know how hard that would be to believe? I mean, because maybe if I wouldn't have cut off Shimei's head like this other soldier says, um, you know, it still would have been really difficult um, to keep on walking and walking and walking till you get to the Jordan River and have this guy just keep doing it to you over and over again. Because, if you, again, if you look at a map, okay, to get to the Jordan River, that's at least another 15, maybe 20 miles that David's putting up with this, where he's just walking. And maybe in the beginning you say, okay, I'm not going to let this get to me. I'm going to let him do his thing. He might be right. But maybe after mile 5 or mile 10, you're like, okay, my patience is gone. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put an end to this. I'm going to stop it, you know? David maintains that attitude the entire walk, however long it takes him. He continues to say, as he's being hit with rock after rock, he's saying, if I am innocent, God knows. God knows. God will vindicate me one day. I don't have to strike back. Why? Because God is sovereign. He is powerful and if that's true, if God really is powerful, if he's really sovereign, which I believe, then he'll take care of me. He will vindicate me. If there's one thing I want you to see tonight from this passage, it's that David shows what it's like to trust God and his sovereignty entirely. It's one thing to say that you believe in a sovereign God, but it's another to trust, even when it means getting rocks thrown at your face and believe that I don't have to strike back, to still believe that God is sovereign to such a degree that you wouldn't retaliate. God reigns and rules. He sees everything that we do. And he sees everything that happens to us. Be willing to be humble, even when you receive criticism. 
That's the lesson here. And in any situation that you're not sure of, if you deserve or if you don't, somebody's criticizing you, whatever the case may be, always be willing to ask, what can I learn here? How can I respond in humility? And maybe even change my ways if possible. But also know that even if you are cursed at or or wronged without cause, that God knows that too. God will either repay that person for what they have done to you, or he'll make himself known to them. He'll humble them, and he'll show them his powerful saving grace, just as he's shown to you. But he will remember and vindicate you as well. This is the faith that David had, willing to accept either possibility, willing to either say, God, if this is sent from you, I'll learn from it. Or if it's not, I'm willing to walk 15 or 20 miles and get hit as many times as necessary because I trust that I don't have to strike back, that if you really are on the throne, you'll take care of me. You'll take care of me. And he does. No matter what happens, remember, God is sovereign. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that no matter what happens to us in life, that you would impress upon us this very central truth, that you are king, that you reign, you are in control, you are sovereign. These are things we sing about all the time, Lord, but when it comes to somebody yelling at us, cursing us, uh, things going, uh, not going our way, life not turning out the way we expect, it can be hard to keep believing it, God. We see in this man, David, somebody who trusted you entirely, no matter what that meant, whether it meant his humbling or his vindication later in life. God, may we not seek vengeance. May we not seek to take your vengeance into our own hands. May we seek to live in ways that are humble and trusting in your ways. And may we hold on to that hope that no matter what happens, God, one day you will reign supreme. You will win. You will vindicate us. And we will reign with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.